This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Right, welcome back. Afternoons on News Talk 770. Rob Breckenridge with you here on a Wednesday afternoon, our final half hour. We'll hand things over to Angela Cocott after 3 o'clock for Calgary Today. Uh, we'll have some more time for your calls and your texts as well, but uh, looking forward to this next conversation. Uh, there's been a lot of debate, obviously, and it's not really new, but uh, I think for, for a few reasons, uh, it's, it's been a little more intense as of late. Certainly what's been happening in the United States, Donald Trump's vow to, to bring in a, a ban on uh, Muslims entering the United States, his travel ban that kind of sort of attempts to do that, and debate about whether such a thing is needed and the threat posed by radical Islam. Here in Canada, of course, we've had debate around this motion 103, M103 as it's known, a motion that would have Parliament condemn Islamophobia, and people wondering what exactly that's supposed to mean. And is it possible at times that legitimate criticism of Islam gets labeled as Islamophobia? And does it put a chill on legitimate discussion? But let's not forget, of course, what happened recently in Quebec City where innocent Canadian Muslims simply exercising their freedom of religion were gunned down in their place of worship by what appears to be a very bigoted and hateful individual. So that is real, that hatred. So, joining us on the line for his thoughts, uh, very pleased to welcome to the program uh, Ali Rizvi. He is uh, author of the book The Atheist Muslim, A Journey from Religion to Reason, and had a really interesting piece uh, recently, or was the subject of an interesting piece uh, at The Atlantic, uh, on that dilemma facing uh, people like him. Ali, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Rob. Uh, you know, there's an interesting quote from you in this, this piece uh, at The Atlantic, where you say, challenging Islam as a doctrine is very different from demonizing Muslim people. Uh, I think you get people mm-hmm. on both sides of this debate, Ali, who, who don't and can't make that distinction. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, one of the biggest problems I've had as uh, somebody who came to North America at, in my 20s, and I grew up in Libya, Saudi Arabia, and Pakistan, um, was that uh, the way that this uh, issue is framed on the left and right. On the left, you know, the liberals generally tend to think that if you criticize anything about Islam or Islamic doctrine, that's bigotry against all Muslims. And on the right, they say because there are problems with some aspects of Islamic doctrine, all Muslims must be demonized or banned in the case of uh, the, you know, the whole Trump administration and all that rhetoric. So I think both of them are missing the point. They're both conflating um, Islam, which is an ideology, with Muslims, which are a people. Um, and not making that distinction is causing problems and a lot of confusion on both sides. And this word Islamophobia also conflates the two. So how do you draw to the distinction or how do you explain it to people? Well, I explained it in the sense that, uh, well, as an example, um, I, if I say smoking is a filthy habit, I'm not saying that all smokers are filthy people, right? There's a difference between a habit or something that you do um, and, or, or an, you know, in this case, an ideology, right? And and actually demonizing the people who hold, like, the people have a right to believe what they want. We have to respect that right of people to believe what they want. That doesn't mean that we have to respect the beliefs themselves, right? People believe all kinds of things. Um, I think somebody has, it's perfectly entitled. Uh, they have the right to believe that the earth is flat, for instance. That does not necessarily mean that I have to respect that particular belief. Um, so we can criticize beliefs, but that doesn't mean that we should, you know, someone believes the earth is flat, you know, we can absolutely criticize it, uh, the, the belief itself. 
that doesn't mean we should demonize a person um, or target them um, or persecute them uh, for what they're believing, even if it's a bad belief. Right. Well, and, and I think part of the, that persecution <laughs> comes from an assumption that, that all Muslims believe a certain thing or practice their right. faith a certain way. Right. Right. That's, uh, and I'll, I'll actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so last year when uh, Donald Trump actually announced his uh, um, Muslim ban for the very first time, he said that we should have a ban for Muslims, uh, the Indian-American journalist Fareed Zakaria, who um, is actually pretty world-renowned, uh, wrote an article in the Washington Post that was titled, I am a Muslim. And in that he said, well, I'm not a practicing Muslim. My views on Islam, they, well, my views on faith range from agnosticism to deism. Um, he said that his wife is Christian. He's not raising his kids as Muslim. Uh, his, uh, he hasn't been to a mosque in decades. Uh, he said several things, but he said, I still feel that I must embrace the Muslim identity because of all of the political rhetoric there is. So what he's looking at, he's looking at the word Muslim as an identity. It doesn't necessarily mean what it meant 1,300 years ago. Um, it's actually something that people uh, think of as their identity. When you when you uh, criticize their ideology, they themselves conflate it, and they take it as a personal attack on who they are. Um, so, so this is, uh, I think, this idea right now at this point in time, this distinction between demonizing people and criticizing ideas is key. I mean, challenging ideas is what moves societies forward. Demonizing people is what's going to rip societies apart. And there is a difference between Islam as an ideology, which we must challenge, and Muslims as people um, who we need to have a debate with, not necessarily, uh, you know, ban them and assume that they all believe the same thing. So what do you use the term atheist Muslim? What does that mean to you? Well, Atheist Muslim, is a, it's, it's funny, it's a book title more than a self-descriptor. It's like Back to the Future. <laughs> right. If you see the movie, you know, you're not going to not watch the movie because the title doesn't make sense. So the, the Atheist Muslim, is, it's addressing um, millions of closeted atheist and agnostic uh, people in the Muslim world who, are not, who can't shake off the Muslim label. They publicly have to identify as Muslims because if they don't, they will be disowned by their families, they'll be imprisoned, flogged, uh, maybe executed, ostracized by their communities. So they have to publicly retain the Muslim label, even though they don't believe anymore. And in polls, there was a recent poll by Wynn and Gallup uh, that actually showed that there are millions of them. There's a 5% of the people in Saudi Arabia, which is a very, very fundamentalist Islamic country, um, identify as confirmed atheists, according to that poll. And there have been other studies like that as well. So... So there are many, many, many of them, but you don't hear from them because their voices are quashed and they have to publicly identify as Muslims. And the problem is that a lot of them are actually included under Trump's Muslim ban because what they do is they, they he just kind of looks at all of them. They're like, they're from there, they must all be Muslim. Or they're born in Muslim families, they must all be Muslim. And um, some of these are secular activists who, who can be great allies. You know, with, with all of us in, in, in the fight against Islamism and jihadism. Uh, but uh, we've once we do that, in a way, Trump isn't allowing them to shake off that that label either. You know, just like their own governments. So that's really what the atheist Muslim is. You know, that is the atheist Muslim, the the person who has given up his belief, who thinks differently, but is kind of closeted and can't publicly speak about it. All right. Well, what do you make then of this debate that's happening in Canada? Because uh, to me, it seems fairly innocuous that the House of Commons would condemn 
hatred or bigotry toward Muslims, but there's been so much emotion wrapped up in this this word Islamophobia, and I think it's become, rather than something unifying, it's become something very divisive. Well, as you pointed out, anti-Muslim bigotry is very real. We saw that in Quebec. Um, I mean, at this point, we even say there are more people who have been killed by this, you know, sort of white nationalist sympathizer uh, than there have been by any jihadist, at least in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So in this country specifically, that's the case. So um, with this motion, let's first make it clear, it's a motion, it's not a law, so it's not necessarily restricting anybody's speech, but the problematic part of it is, again, the word Islamophobia. And over here, semantics matter. And this, again, is going back to the idea of criticizing ideologies versus demonizing people. So when we talk about anti-Semitism, it's called anti-Semitism. It's not Judaism-phobia, right? We should be able to challenge ideas. The problem with the word Islamophobia is it conflates legitimate criticism of Islam with demonization of Muslims. So what you end up having is you have... What you're doing is you're actually exploiting the pain of genuine victims of anti-Muslim prejudice, and you're using that to stifle legitimate criticism of Islam. And that, to me, is really sinister. So so I agree with uh, the word choice. I don't think it's a good word choice, and I think that's something that we have to work and keep on speaking about, speaking up about, to uh, redefine and really call this anti-Muslim prejudice. If we adopted the term anti-Muslim prejudice, I, I, it would be better for everybody. It would be better. I mean, people would recognize that this is a real phenomenon. But I think that uh, the word Islamophobia, which was originally coined by the Muslim Brotherhood, by the way, so that if there was a political intent behind it, is uh, I think it actually obscures the important conversation that we have to have about anti-Muslim prejudice because people do get stuck up on semantics and they do get stuck up on it for very good reason. Uh, because uh, what you're doing is you know, in the effort to um, defend one liberal value, that's protect the right of minorities, to compromising another, which is free speech and challenging um, ideas. Right. And in that point about protecting liberal values, and, and I think that's the concern you have. When you talk about Islamic doctrine, you're talking about those aspects that do conflict with those values. Yes, I am. And I, I think that uh, there's a little bit of confusion uh, when it comes to people in Muslim minority countries and Muslim uh, sorry, the countries where Muslims are a minority, like Canada and the United States, versus countries where Muslims are a majority. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Part of the liberal conscience is to protect minorities and their rights and what they believe. So people who look at Muslims as an aggrieved minority here, which which is largely true, um, they, they want to protect them. But when they go past that and they start protecting their beliefs, then it becomes a problem because the same book that is revered by Muslims here, the Quran, is also used that accurately and quoted accurately by Islamist governments and Islamist groups to oppress, censor, and kill people over in Muslim-majority countries. The same hijab, the hijab, the headscarf that uh, women uh, in the West choose to wear as a symbol of their identity over there is forced onto women, millions more women, um, uh, by their husbands, by their governments, by their imams, by their fathers. Uh, and interestingly, the, the liberals in uh, Muslim-majority countries who actually speak out against their governments, against Islamic theocracies, like Raif, by the way, is a friend of mine who's in jail in Saudi Arabia right now um, for simply writing a blog favoring secularism. Um, if he said the same things he said here, they'd call him Islamophobic. So there is a, there's a disconnect. 
So what we do is in, in our effort to protect uh, some of these minorities, the, the Muslim minorities that we protect often have very conservative views. So you have liberals protecting conservative views. It's unintentional. I'm sure it's well-intentioned. But I think that uh, what it does is it actually does enable um, a lot of the people in Muslim-majority countries and it helps them do uh, the terrible things that they do uh, in the name of the religion. Right. And for, for ex-Muslims in particular, to be able to articulate why they're leaving the faith and what their concerns are, that, that yeah, should yeah, always yeah. be legitimate conversation. It should be. And, and you know, one, one of the things about liberalism that, that I always say is, you know, it's, it should be about ideas. It, it, absolutely. If you have an idea, if there's something that Donald Trump says about women that you don't like and you jump on him for it and you slam him for it, you know, then when you find the same thing in the Quran or if you find the same thing that a conservative Muslim saying, suddenly people back off and they're like, no, we have to respect them. This is their culture. And then when you do that, it's not about ideas anymore. You know, there, there are people, if there's something in the KKK manifesto that is homophobic, that is, that's the idea is homophobic. If it appears in the Bible or in the Quran, we don't suddenly start respecting it. So, and, and that's unfortunately what's happening with, uh, this is a failure of liberals uh, nowadays, is that um, the idea, their, their approach to an idea really depends on what the source is. And that necessarily lends itself to identity politics, where the only counter argument you have to everything is calling people bigoted and racist. And that's just not right. You have to have an argument. You have to argue back. Right, um, calling people names and calling them racist and bigoted after every uh, you know, in response to an argument—that's not an argument. That's that's a lack of an argument. Yeah, great point. Well, believe it there, Ali. Again, the book is called "The Atheist Muslim: A Journey from Religion to Reason." Great talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for having me. All right, me. take care, Ali Rizvi. As mentioned, the book is called "The Atheist Muslim." Uh, so, an interesting perspective. We got to take a break. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.